Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. This morning's reading is from Revelation 3, verses 14 to 22, and it's on page 1,236 of the Church Bibles. That's Revelation 3, 14 to 22 page 1236 to the church in Laodicea to the angel of the church in Laodicea write these are the words of the Amen the faithful and true witness the ruler of God's creation I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot I wish you were either one or the other so because you are lukewarm neither hot nor cold I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, Let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everyone. Thank you, Philistine, for reading. Um, Do keep your Bible open there in Revelation chapter 3 if you have one. Um, As Johnny mentioned, my name is Justin. If if we haven't met, if you're new and visiting, um, it's lovely to have you here. Um, In the last number of weeks, we've been working through the book of Revelation. And we've been looking at these seven letters to the seven churches. They are, in fact, what Jesus is saying to us and to all of his churches now, as he has been throughout history. And this morning we're coming to the last letter, the letter to the church in Laodicea. It's not an easy read, and we need God's help to understand it, but also to hear what he is saying to us this morning. And so let's come to him now and pray and ask him to help us. Jesus says, grace and peace to you, from him who is, and who was, and who is to come. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are a God of grace, and that you speak to us for our good, so that we would find peace with you through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, please will you help us to hear your words this morning. Please be at work in us by your Spirit this morning, so that we would see our weakness and trust in your Son. 
We ask this in his name and for his glory. Amen. When I was a student, I used to work as a waiter. And there was one evening when a guy came into the restaurant with two ladies. They had a long and large meal. And at some point towards the end of the meal, the guy got up and he went to the toilets. And the two ladies very quickly slipped out. And he came back and he sat down and it looked as if he was waiting for them. So, um, so we let them be. Um, after a bit of time, though, it was evident that they weren't coming back. And he got his phone out and it seemed like he was trying to call them or message them and he wasn't getting through to them. He waited and waited, but they didn't come back. When it came time to pay for the bill, um, he was a bit nervous. He was stressed, actually, because he didn't have his wallet with him. You see, the ladies had said that they were going to be paying for the meal, and so he left his wallet at home. He had a false sense of security, and when it was exposed, he was caught out with nothing in hand. In our passage this morning, the church in Laodicea also had a false sense of security. They say to themselves, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. But what transpires is that spiritually, they have nothing. And this morning, Jesus lovingly shows us the danger in being self-sufficient as Christians. He calls us to repent of this attitude and humbly rely on him for our eternal well-being. And so we're going to look at this passage in two points. Firstly, we're to see that self-sufficient Christians sicken Jesus. Self-sufficient Christians sicken Jesus. Um, I have their self-satisfied as well, but I want to really focus in on self-sufficient. And then secondly, we'll go on to see that Jesus lovingly calls us to be satisfied by him. Well, let's look at our first point. Self-sufficient Christians sickened Jesus. And Jesus was, in fact, sickened by this church in Laodicea. It's strong language. I wonder if there's someone who, when you think about them, they turn your stomach. They're just completely off-putting to be around. As soon as they walk into a room, you have to leave because you're going to be visibly and physically sick around them. Someone who is very difficult, obnoxious. Well, maybe you don't know someone like that. I'm glad you don't. But maybe you can think of the kind of person who would make you feel that way. What would they have had to have done? Shockingly, this is how Jesus feels about this church. He says in verse 17, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Literally, I'm about to vomit you out of my mouth. It is very strong language in the Greek. And it's not a polite spit out like, like Poppy in the video. It's more like Nathaniel. I'm going to spit you out, vomit you out. The church in Laodicea sickened Jesus. He found them vomit-inducing. And it is the moment right before he ejects them. And we see in this passage that he was sickened by their self-sufficiency. See, what turned his stomach about them was that they were self-reliant. He says in verse 15 and 16, I know your deeds, that you are neither hot or cold. Sorry, neither cold or hot. 
I wish you were one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Jesus explains to his church that what he finds repugnant about them by referring to their local water supply. The problem was that they had lukewarm water. About 10 kilometers to the north was the city of Herapolis, and they had wonderful hot springs. They were medicinal hot springs. And 17 kilometers southeast to Laodicea was Colossae, and they had wonderful cool springs. But when the water traveled from Aeropolis to Colossae, it came past Laodicea, and it was lukewarm by the time it got to them. But the water was also full of minerals and limescale. There were limestone um, at Aeropolis, and this is what was traveled down um, in the water. And so the water was terrible to taste. And actually, the doctors and medical workers in Laodicea, they used the water and they gave it to their patients to drink as an emetic. They actually used it medically to make people throw up. Being lukewarm is not about the temperature of our feelings toward Jesus. He's not saying that Christians must have strong feelings of joy and love towards him all the time. And that it's better if we have cold feelings or if we're as cold to him in love as a non-Christian. There's three reasons why I don't think that's what Jesus means here. The first is that it doesn't make sense. Why would Jesus say that it's better to not love him and be cold towards him? Secondly, it's not possible because we all fluctuate in how we feel every day. And thirdly, it's not what the passage is saying. What Jesus means by saying that they were lukewarm and the reason that he is about to vomit them out of his mouth is stated in verse 16 and 17. He says there, So, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. For, because you say, I am rich, I have acquired possessions or wealth, I do not need a thing. To be lukewarm is to be so self-sufficient and so satisfied with the material wealth and physical well-being that you have that you don't see how much you really need Jesus. See, if you hung around church um, or after the service in the church of Laodicea, you would have listened to the conversation. And we do have hot tea and coffee at the back, so go grab a hot tea and coffee afterwards. But if you got a cup of tea and coffee and you hung around while it was getting tepid, you would have heard them say things like, I am, I have, I don't need anything. Things like, I was promoted to head up the division in my firm. My little, girl, my little girl Sophie, she got another gold star because she is so good at reading. I arrived as an undergrad and now I'm, well, a successful doctor in the city. I got A's in my A-levels. I got a number of these pure woolen suits down in London over the weekend. You see, Laodicea was a city of health and wealth. Its location made it a commercial center. It was known for its banking sector. It was a major producer of fine black woolen cloth, and they were known for their medical facilities. There were plenty of doctors around. They developed, um, in fact, a remedial eye ointment that was known to the city and known in the surrounding areas, and it was made at Laodicea. In 60 AD, 
The city was rocked by earthquakes in the Lycus Valley. A number of the, the cities that were in that area were often um, shaken by earthquakes. And the earthquake that year almost destroyed the whole city, or a large part of it, at least, was destroyed. And the city of Laodicea, they refused financial hope from the, uh, help from the Roman emperor himself. And they, in fact, bankrolled the redevelopment of the city themselves. And it wasn't a small project. I think one person paid, about, or, or paid for the redoing of a stadium that seated 800 people. They were incredibly wealthy. And like the city around them, these Christians were self-sufficient. And they were self-satisfied with the mater their material and physical well-being that they thought that they needed nothing. Not from the Roman emperor, and not even from Jesus, who is God, our creator and ruler of this creation. See, their self-reliance and their satisfaction with their material comfort was a problem because it meant that they thought they didn't need Jesus. In verse 17, look there again, he says, You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. See, when they got up in the morning and they put on their gold watch, and their black woolen trousers, and no, they didn't need to put on glasses because they had 20-20 vision. Well, in the mirror, they looked absolutely fine. They looked like they were doing well. But Jesus holds up his mirror, and he shows that spiritually they are the exact opposite. They're not blessed. They are wretched. Literally, the wretched one. Of all his churches, they are the wretched one. And they needed someone to show them mercy because spiritually they were poor, blind, and naked. Their physical and material prosperity for which they were so known, their wealth and their clothing and their health care, is matched conversely by Jesus by what they are lacking spiritually. It shouldn't have surprised them. You see, as Christians, we're to know that we are people who are in spiritual need. It's the Christian who should be the first to say, have mercy on me, God, a sinner. But they were surprised. The real problem was that their material prosperity, security and comfort, and their ability to provide for themselves had meant that they couldn't see that they were spiritually needy and that they needed Jesus. You might be here this morning and you're not a Christian. And I wonder if this passage touches on the reason why you aren't a Christian. Because you think that Christianity is a crutch. And passages like this, well, don't they prove that? Well, let me ask you a question, if you don't mind. How would you answer Jesus' question that he gave his disciples? The question was this, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world but forfeit their soul? See, what do we think that we can give God to enter his kingdom? Everything is his, all of who we are, our gifts and our abilities and our talents, and he's given them to you. You see, you need him. 
Well, you might be here this morning and you, you are in physical need. You might not be in desperate need, but you know that things have gotten harder, physically or materially. Things have just gotten harder for you. I do hope that there are Christians here who can come around you, who know your situation, who are able to pray with you and encourage you, and, ask, and point you to Jesus to look to him, because he will provide for you. He will help you. He promises to do so. But if you're in desperate need, and there might be someone in a, here who is in desperate need, if you are in desperate need, please do come and speak to me after the service. If you have no food on the table and no way of providing for it, or just physically you are in desperate need, do come and chat to me or do come and chat to Johnny. We would want to help you as best as we could. But for those of us who are Christians, we need to see that Jesus is not condemning wealth. He's not condemning hard work or competence or confidence even. Because humility, true humility, recognizes both its strengths as well as its limitations. Jesus is not saying that poverty is more godly. What he hates is their self-reliant attitude that leads to being satisfied with the things of this world so we spiritually don't think we don't need Jesus. He's challenging here what we think about ourselves and what ultimately we desire. See, are we so impressed with ourselves that we are healthy and wealthy that, me that means we've forgotten that Christians are in spiritual need of Jesus? Our material blessings as a church or as Christians are not proof and they're not the measure that Jesus is pleased with us. I was chatting to a brother here and he was being very honest and he recognized that life in forward is very comfortable. Materially speaking, he has everything he needs and what surprised me is what he said next. I might be trusting in Jesus, but how do I know? It was very perceptive and very honest, and I appreciated his question, and I appreciated him sharing that with me. Well, Jesus helps us to see how we can tell if we are spiritually self-sufficient or, or if we know, sorry, that we are spiritually poor and trusting in him. And the tell is what do we talk about? What do we say about ourselves? How do we view the things we have? How do we talk about our church? Do we talk in a way that makes us sound great? Do we talk in a way that boasts about all that we have? Do we talk as if we don't need others' help, but that we are able to offer help? Or do we talk about Jesus? Do we talk about how great he is? Do we talk about how much he's done for us and how grateful we are to him? for all that he's done for us. And perhaps it's a question of extent. To what extent do we talk about ourselves or Jesus? Jesus lovingly, he lovingly and graciously tells them truthfully what they are like. But he doesn't do this to be cruel or to be mean or to be vindictive. He does it so that we would be satisfied by him. 
which is our second point this morning. See, after hearing what the church in Laodicea was like, we might see how we are similar to them and feel guilty. You might be feeling that you don't, in fact, want to go to Jesus if this is what he has to say. You'd rather just stay away. But it's this church, and it's to this church, that Jesus speaks lovingly. See, we might be tempted, and we might actually stay away from those who sicken us, who turn our stomach when we're around them. But Jesus doesn't do that. He draws us near, and he draws them near. See, in his grace, he lovingly shows them and us what we are like so we would come to him. Listen to what he says in verse 19. Those whom I love are rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Jesus loves us so much that he is willing to show us and even let us feel our guilt for treating him as if we don't need him. To rebuke someone is to point out that they are guilty of something. And in fact, it is the work of the Holy Spirit in us to convict us of sin and guilt. But it's not so that we would feel bad. He shows us our wrong so that it is for our good to correct us so that we would be restored and changed spiritually and so that we would be healthy. Imagine a young child. They got it into their head that they didn't need any help crossing the road, and so they do. A loving parent will show them that in their self-reliance, while they put themselves in real danger. The hope would be to correct them so that they would learn and that they would change their behavior. A parent, though, that didn't love them would leave them alone so that they would suffer the consequence of their actions and their self-reliance. See, if we've been guilty of treating Jesus as if we don't need him, he corrects us so that we would not be spat out of his mouth, so that we would not be rejected, but so that we would find grace and healing from him. And only he is able to meet our spiritual need. He says in verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you can become rich, and white clothes to wear, so that you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes, so you can see. What they were lacking spiritually, he can provide. And only he can ultimately meet their need because of who he is. He is God. He is our creator. He is the ruler of this creation as well as the next. This is what Jesus means when he says in verse 14 that he is the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. In Isaiah 65, verse 16 and 17, the Lord God refers to himself as the Amen. And he is the one who promises to bless his people in his new creation. You see, Jesus is taking this name for himself. He is God himself, who is the creator of this creation as well as the next. He is our God. He is our maker. He is our provider of all things. 
both physically and spiritually, of this creation as well as the new creation. See, we make distinctions between physical things and spiritual things. And we re rely on ourselves, perhaps, for physical things and forget that we need Jesus for spiritual things, but he is, in fact, the same God who has made all things. And so we must hear his gracious inv invitation to provide what we need. These things that Jesus mentions here in verse 18, I counsel to buy from me gold, white clothes to wear, and salve to put on your eyes, so you can see. They all have all these things, gold, fine clothes, or white clothes, and being able to see, they all have to do with being in his eternal heavenly kingdom. The gold that he offers them, it is true gold, genuine gold, that can make them rich. It's refined by fire to show that it is genuine. And in the New Testament, spiritual riches always refer to, or very often refer to, the hope that we have in God's new creation. So in passages like Luke 16 or Colossians 1, or later on in Revelation 21, where the city is made of pure gold. And to see is a theme that comes up again and again in Revelation, and it's to see who Jesus is. It's to see him in his kingdom, that he is the one who died and rose and rules with all of God's power. And to be clothed is to be dressed appropriately for his kingdom, having our guilt and our shame covered so that we can be perfectly pure and with him who is holy. You see, he provides us with what we need to be in his kingdom, and he does it through his death and resurrection. We're told in chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, that those who are able to worship Jesus in his kingdom are wearing white robes, and that they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. The invitation from Jesus is to continue to rely on him. It's an invite to trust that no matter how much or how little we have trusted him, he's done everything necessary through his death and resurrection, so that we can be in his kingdom. It's an invitation to continue in relationship with him. Listen to verse 20. He says, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person, and they with me. See, to be self-sufficient is to leave Jesus at the door outside of the building. But Jesus wants to sit around the table with us. He wants to know us and for us to know him. And intimately, like you get to know someone over a long meal. And the table that he invites us to sit around, it's his table. We're to remember and trust in his death so that we would be in his kingdom. He wants us to come and share in this meal, no matter who we are. You see, he's paid for it in advance by dying on the cross, unlike the table that I waited on. 
And if we eat with him here, he gives us everything that we need to keep us as his people so that we will be in his kingdom one day where he will give us riches, white robes, and we will see him face to face. We will be cleansed from our sin and cleansed from our self-sufficiency because we will see him. We can't wash ourselves from our pride. We can't wash ourselves from our guilt. We need to come to him to wash us. We need to be washed by the blood of the Lamb. I don't know what, sorry, give me a second. I don't know what detergent you use at home. I don't do a lot of washing myself, so. But, you know, you get eco balls and I don't know, all sorts of other interesting things. But Jesus calls us to come to him and to wash in his blood because it's his blood that was shed for us that makes us white. See, this is what we need. This is the detergent that is effective to cleanse us from our sin. You might be feeling guilty this morning. You might feel the guilt of having rejected Jesus and not relied on him and not trusted him and desired the things of this world more than him, but he has died for you so that you can be washed white by his blood. So let's come to his table this morning and receive from him his grace and forgiveness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son. We thank you that even though we are poor and needy and have nothing to offer you in and of ourselves, you sent him to die for us. Father, we pray that you'd be at work in us, that you'd help us to see his glory and his grace and that we would come to him this morning and receive the forgiveness of our sins in his name. And we ask this in his name and for his glory. Amen.